There he is. Hi, Steve. Hi, Very nice to see you. Great to see you too. Um, so, uh, how do I how do I look and sound? Everything okay? You look and sound fantastic. Okay. Well, so do you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> so, Great. Um, to talk to you. I spent some time looking at um, you know Soul Story. And I think we have a lot in common in terms of our views. And um, I just want to compliment you on the good work you're doing uh, in the world to advance, you know, uh, an understanding of spirituality that uh, can transcend and include the best of what's come before. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, <laughs> that means a lot to me. Sure. And yeah, I was thinking the uh, I've enjoyed reading the presence of the infinite as well. And I was I was thinking um, just as I was sitting down here, I was thinking, you know, I think it's clear we've got we share an inf interest in evolutionary politics, uh, sorry, evolutionary spirituality and the effect of that on politics, which isn't so much in that book, but it's what I'm working on now. You have a thing which I don't, I, which you're calling dialectical epistemology, and I don't write about this in Soul Story, but I've been developing something I call paralogical thinking, which sounds incredibly similar, and then it just brought a smile to my face because I thought, yes, and you've got an organization called the ICE. And I've got an organization called the ICU. <laughs> it felt like, what will we what will we have to talk about? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm so, sure plenty. I mean, you know, for what it's worth, uh, the Institute for Cultural Evolution Think Tank, because here in the US, ICE also stands for Integrations and Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So in the American mind, it's a little bit like the FBI. Right. And so we don't use the acronym. I mean, it's an easy way to refer to it. And we do, you know, uh, non-publicly, but we've tried to de-ice uh, the website. And so that we don't, you know, trigger the uh, progressive folks who want to abolish ICE. Right. That's the kind of one of their slogans. And so well, I, I have the same thing because the ICU it stands for the International Community of Individuals. I'll talk about what that means later, maybe. But um but of course, it's also associated with heart attacks and not being very well. So, right. you know, <laughs> intensive care unit. Yeah. yeah well, society needs that too. So, we even share the same dilemmas. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd like to, to dive in to the conversation, Steve, um, if you will. Um, I'm sure we'll go to all sorts of places. Um, with the. Uh, the idea really that motivated me to start doing this as an excuse it's really you know i see this as as like personal conversations that i want to have which i'm we are willing to make public because people seem to enjoy them and the centerpiece for it for me was i when i was reading people's books or you know interested in people i wanted to kind of sit with them and just go yeah but what do you think this is that's happening to us <laughs> well because well, i wake up every day and this is happening and you know and people keep dying and all sorts goes on and what is it that we're in and let everything else come from there so i i know it's a crazy question um I don't I, think so. I'd like, oh great okay good i thought you <laughs> might know. not okay yeah, no it's a central question you know yeah. what is all this why are we here kind of yeah. some version of that yeah 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 what what is this what, what what um let me offer it to you and see see what comes to you right well in terms of framing uh the human experience through a, a sort of cosmological big picture uh or understanding um i i start with what we can see 
and that is this universe of becoming, right? We are becoming within a universe of becoming that's been becoming through steps for 13.8 billion years. Something more keeps coming from something less. And the structure of the becoming, the structure of evolutionary emergence is alive within us. And indeed, we are called to participate in its further extension. But I think that just recognizing the becoming or the finite uh, doesn't make sense unless it's situated within a larger infinite or a larger kind of universe of being, right? So, so uh, you know, according to um, you know, sort of a, a, the, the Kabbalistic understanding of Judaism, right, that the universe is created by a subtraction, right? The, the word is simsum. And the, the, the idea that there's there's a um, you know that, that there's this perfect infinity that that the universe is timeless and eternal, and then there is a, um, a an act of creation I would say wherein time begins where the finite the finite can be understood like a bubble within the infinite you know a place where you know infinity has been partially removed where eternity has been partially removed so we have space and time and energy and and matter and mind all of these things can exist in in this kind of shadow of the absolute the shadow of being or you know infinity so without getting too philosophical about it i'd say that that we are in this universe of time that, that this that from some perspectives that this universe in, in time is an allowance it's it's an affordance that that allows us as uh experiential creatures to to sort of recognize the infinite from our own lights in other words to rediscover being within the becoming right that that is the freedom of our own uh uh will the freedom of our of, of our ability to to grow our freedom to be creative all of these are techniques by which we experience the infinite in the finite or you know pure being within this realm of becoming so our purpose according to this understanding, is to um, uh, pursue the infinite and the finite, which I would say is done through spiritual experience, but not just the experience of, of spirit, but also the, the creation of it, the, the creation of the good, the true, and the beautiful. And, and one way of thinking about that is perfecting the universe, right? Not that perfection can be achieved within time or that human creatures can be made perfect in any kind of utopian sense, but we're trying to make the world a better place, right? The, and when I say the world, I mean, uh, you know, culture and self and, you know, our external environment, our relationship to nature, um, making the world a better place is a sacred calling. And I, indeed, I would say that that's the, the purpose of evolution, the purpose of our, of our evolving consciousness and our opportunity to contribute to the further evolution of human culture. So, you know, that's, that's a lot, but that's kind of the, the, the summary. But, but beautifully, beautifully put, Steve. Um, so I'm I, I, no surprise that I resonate with a lot of that. There's some, there's some that I, I would like to ask you about. Of course. Um, Okay, I want to. I probably want to go back to the beginning at some point, but just um, what do you mean by perfect? Well, I would say that that to the extent that the 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 potential for improvement is exhausted, that's one way to think about it, right? So if, if we think about um, these these comprehensible elements of perfection, you know, partial expressions of perfection, which I understand as the good, the true, and the beautiful, and all the values that these are like primary colors, right? So kind of all forms of value can be perceived as as part of this rubric of the primary values. 
And so when you think about beauty, for example, the experience of beauty, even though the individual particulars of that experience, you know, you can always perhaps imagine a more beautiful or, or more perfect scenario. The beauty itself comes from the pleasure that, that we experience when the, the potentials for improvement are temporarily satisfied. In other words, evolution kind of comes to a rest. You know, as Alfred North Whitehead said, beauty is the final contentment of the eros of the universe. And so that eros for greater, for greater wholeness, for greater completion, for, for, you know, more perfection in terms of moral perfection, intellectual perfection, aesthetic perfection. I mean, again, these, these are not achievable in time as, as a static state, but they are sort of headings or trajectories. And, and the spiritual experience of these forms of the infinite and the finite, in a, in a sense, the experience of them ex itself is the experience of becoming slightly, incrementally more perfect. Right in, in, okay. in our in our understanding of what's real, in our understanding of what's what's moral, and what's under what our understanding of what you know expresses perfection here in the so finite. There's a journey Good. towards right. The, the in other words, these like, values like a, are more directions, a than as it were. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, it's it's from a developmental or evolutionary perspective. All of this is moving, and it's experienced in the movement. You know, like a, it's the difference between a still photo and a motion picture. Right. The motion picture allows us to sort of enter into it and and it duplicates our experience with more uh you know authenticity and and the same experience like you know you have to play the record the record has to move to, to hear it and and our experience of the good the true and the beautiful or, or spiritual experiences in general uh i think are are the process of growing spiritually the experience itself can be understood as a form of spiritual growth because we can't help but you know, it, it have those experiences without growing. So it's never perfection by itself. It's always perfection perfecting. It's always yeah. it's more of a verb than a noun. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, I understand what you're saying there. So I certainly think there was a big jump for me at some point. I don't know exactly when, when I really took on that everything was process, that, that I, that, that all I ever experience is a process and therefore that I'm a process and that things are just very slow processes and um the every and i loved i've not heard that bef before actually i just really liked the uh, the comparison of the the still photo and the moving pictures why does it capture so much more of our lives it's right. because everything's always moving and right process. There, are, there are no you know okay so the other the other idea i'd like to home in on there's a few loads actually of course but is eros right what do you mean by eros? And is, is it the same as Whitehead? And what do you think he means by eros? And yeah, sure. Um, well, I, you know, I think Whitehead's understanding of eros comes from Plato, right? He is sort of a neo-Platonist in his own way. Um, and I'm not sure I'm qualified to thoroughly explain Whitehead's notion of eros, but I've certainly okay. been influenced by it. And I can talk about my own concept of it. Yep. And, and th that is, you know, Emerson was famous for understanding that that every natural fact is in some ways symbolic of some sort of higher or larger spiritual fact. 
And one of the most fundamental natural facts of the physical universe is the, the, the prevalence of energy, right? And the amount of energy in the universe is fixed, but it's constantly in motion and it powers, you know, the, the biosphere and the uh, cosmo cosmological evolution. It's sort of central to all, um, all forms of evolution. And in the noosphere, in the realm of human consciousness and culture, these sort of internal realms, we can begin to recognize that there's an equivalent to this external idea of energy or magnetism or the electromagnetic spectrum, if you will. And that is the idea of, of value, values and things that create value, again, concretized at, the, as this, at least conceptually as the good, the true, and the beautiful. And that the, this form of energy, it attracts consciousness at every level, right? The sort of the difference between life and non-life, even at the cellular level, is that life is striving to survive and reproduce. It's, it's, it's attracted by some kind of primitive form of goodness, right? Primitive value, survival value itself is a primitive form, can be understood as, as this kind of magnetism of, of, of value. And, and then with the emergence of humanity and the human free will that goes with that, uh, we are awakened to a, a higher level, a new sort of dimension of value, both in our ability to perceive it and our ability to create it, right? It, it's, there's, a, there's what I like to call a metabolism of value. So in other words, we can, we can appreciate that which is beautiful, but when we actually engaged in creating beauty in whatever venue we might find, that, that energy moves through us, right? We're motivated to, to, to express beauty by our experience of it, right? So that the good, the true, and the beautiful are, are you know, they're like spiritual nutrition, right? We metabolize the, those, those forms of spiritual energy, and by taking them in and giving them out, we grow spiritually in the process and our capacity to experience that which is intrinsically valuable expands in the process. So Eros okay. is this is this um, the, the magnetism or the gravity of what we might call uh, sort of the upward current of the good. You know, so the good, as we we talked about in so, you know, so, one so angle. Can I? Sorry, can I just ask? Yeah, you yeah, go just, ahead. Just because it, uh, it'll maybe inform what you say. So, are you saying that this arises with life, Steve? Well, you know, how much value magnetism works in the in the realm of cosmological pre-life evolution, uh, you know, that's somewhat technical. I would say that, you know, from, from a Whiteheadian perspective or, or from an, a pan-interiority, you know, pan-psychism, pan-experientialism, that realm of philosophy where it recognizes that there that, that for every external form of natural universe organization, there, there's a corresponding interior. Right now, that's, you know, kind of philosophically woolly. So let me just bracket that for a moment and, and get back to the idea of, of we can observe thoroughly that life is striving, right? Like Lynn Margulis, the, the um, renowned evolutionary biologist, you know, it, it, she wrote a whole book, you know, what is life? And, and almost every definition of what is life came back, well, that, that could be satisfied by a thermometer, right? So, so the, basically she, she came to, after struggling, trying to kind of wrestle life into a scientific materialistic frame, she came to the somewhat kind of, you know, exhausted conclusion that life is matter that chooses. And so, you know, that, that, that ability to choose, that ability to have a goal and fail, yep, yep, achieving yep, goal, yep, that's I'm what separates it. life from non-life. Okay. And, and that we can observe in that activity of all life, this, this striving to survive and reproduce. Yep. And then as the biological tree of life complexifies, 
uh, you know, the sort of the, the, the animals that have greater interiority, um, their sense of purpose becomes widened and, and, and their, 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 um, their, their idea of what it means to survive and reproduce becomes more complex. Uh, and encompasses, you know, a, a greater realm, you know, it kind of the, the, the individual interest and the species in, interest become more intertwined. But then with the emergence of, uh, of humanity, what I would call the third Big Bang, you know, life being the second and humanity being the third, yeah. um, we begin to feel this pull of, of value gravity or value magnetism. And the evidence for that is that unlike animal needs, which can be satisfied relatively, human needs can really never be satisfied because as soon as we satisfy one level of needs, we awaken to a higher level of possibilities, right? That's kind of the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, so that we have the, the, the creativity and the imagination to develop ourselves beyond our, our you know, animal conditions, which creates culture, which is a sort of new realm of evolution. And as human culture evolves, human consciousness evolves along with it. So human culture doesn't emerge or evolve um, inexorably like some say biological evolution does through natural selection. You know, that is um, culture only evolves when people try to make the world a better place for the most part. I mean, maybe there's occasional accidents, but we're striving to improve the human condition. And, and it's because of that, that accumulatively, especially, you know, over the last several centuries that the human condition has improved immensely, you know, both materially and intellectually. And there's lots more to be done, new, new emergent problems that have come from that. I mean, that's a, a complicated discussion in its own right, but just keeping it centered on Eros, I would say that we there is a kind of a magnetism. And one way to look at it is sort of being drawn from above by the potential for a better way, you know, by the sort of the, 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 um, uh, the gentle persuasion of, of the good, the true and the beautiful. Um, and another way is to look at it, you know, from below, which I think where where Plato started with the concept, um, identifying first as this sort of sexual desire, you know, your your libido's interest in a beautiful person, that that that's kind of coming up from below. But according to Plato, and I think Whitehead would agree that that as human consciousness evolves and we awaken to, to deeper and wider experiences of value that we begin to feel that it's that it's not just from below it, there's also something pulling from above so to speak um, and that's why I like to think of it as a sort of an upward current you know the upward current of the good is sort of moving in the opposite of entropy and and we can feel it and the more the more we grow the more we we feel its traction Thank you. Fantastic. Okay, so um, I'm wondering. I, I I feel like I might, uh, if you're up for it, um, try out some ideas on you and just see what how, how they how they sound. Because um, I think massively in all of, in all of that, we're completely on the same track. And and what I'm aware of is I I think what you're saying very articulately is is in, incredibly close to things I was trying to express and have been trying to express. Um, and I'm aware that some some things have changed for me um, over the last period, really just before Soul Story it started happening, but then after Soul Story it's really happened. Um, so fairly recent in its more extreme form. And I've started to see things differently for all sorts of reasons. Um, so I just I just would like to try it out on you really. And, and which is, so, so a phrase which I think you'll resonate with, I think, 
which if I was going to describe this um, in the shortest way that I could, the shortest, the, the simplest I've got to is, well, it looks to me like this is the one in relationship with itself in a process of realizing potentiality on ever more emergent ways. I completely agree. I think that's well stated. Thank you. Good. I thought you would. Now, here's the bit which would be, a, is a change for me. I've become absolutely enamored by the idea that everything can be accounted for within that one process. And that means anything that has a quality at all is this one process of the one in relationship to itself, realizing potentiality in ever more emergent ways, which means that the process starts with the, and I'm talking metaphysically now, maybe not this universe, maybe other universes, who knows, but just metaphysically, that, that I, I've started thinking, well, I need to, I, if, I, if, I, if that's possible, the eloquence of it appeals to me because it's like, well, nothing's unaccounted for that. Then it means the ground from which I start needs to be the simplest thing I can think of. And the simplest quality seems to be what I'm being, just existing. Which, so what I'm imagining now is a, like, like to take a, a metaphor from physics, a field of being that is informed. And so that, so that when I, I, I saw a line in your book, which I really resonated with, which was, you know, this idea of wanting to reconcile the divine, if you will, or whatever, I forget what word you used, uh, the infinite, uh, as um, imminent and transcendent. And I share that completely from my own experience. It feels like I experience for sure something which is imminent and something which is transcendent. How can that be? And the way that I saw that before was, well, this transcendent thing is already there. And a bit like your Zim Zum, you know, it clears a space within itself. And then we get this and then we come back to it. Never quite worked out why, um, but that was the basic story. And then what I'm playing with now, which makes more sense to me at the moment, is that the transcendent isn't there at all at the beginning. There is something with no qualities except the potential to take on every quality, which is emerging. And that these qualities, that's why I was picking up on the Eros thing. So that there's nothing pushing it. There's no, you know, it really is just the, the arising of potentiality. But like you said, once you arrive at life, there's a big shift. Now there's new qualities, including purpose, including agenda. Once you arrive at psyche, which is the big jump, I think, after life, like you, you know, it's the third big bang, which is like, okay, well now there's an immaterial domain made of images from the sensory domain, which has, it's not in space, it's not, doesn't obey the same rules. It's, you know, you've, you, a whole new domain has arisen. So that what I started exploring was the idea that, okay, does, is it, does it make more sense to go that thing which I experience as transcendent is the next, is the fourth Big Bang, if you like. It's like the next thing from the arising of the psyche or soul. 
and that in some way what's happening in the psyche or soul is giving rise to another level which i experience as god and mm. that rather than being anything at the beginning which does anything it's actually that the universe isn't coming from that it's actually flowering into that what because if this is the emergence of more and more emergent uh, the the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways this is the most emergent thing i ever experienced which is why it is to use your language so beautiful so i have feel so real you know why when you're in it it's like there it's in, incomparable because that's where it's been going rather than, than where it's coming from um there's more but I, let me just leave it at that for now sure well I, I think that theology, although you know it, it, it's 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 been battered, you know, in various quarters. I think it does have a, a role to play. You know, it, it reaches all the way down to the ground in terms of politics and certain terms of our collective sense of transcendence. So, you know, essential kind of reasoning or speculating about you know where is ultimate realities kind of wholeness resident, or how can we think about ultimate reality in terms of uh, evolution right i mean they're you know the totality exists. i gotta stop your sentence what do you mean by ultimate reality steve well i mean the totality right so from a philosophical perspective the totality exists necessarily right something okay. whether wholeness. it's infinite whether it's beyond bounds you know that is there's something rather than nothing and what that yep. something is can be conceived in both the part and the whole so obviously the whole is beyond human comprehension i mean we're still here you know trying to improve conditions in the finite universe so our ability to comprehend the whole is really just beginning but i think the whole is expressed the totality ultimate reality whatever word we label it part of this notion that you mentioned the panentheism the infinite you know, that it's it, it's imminent and transcendent the imminence is expressed one of the qualities of it, it it's got all kinds of dimensions of unity that's expressed in it i mean goodness truth and beauty are each kind of can be understood as forms of unity but but another pattern of unity that we see is self-similarity right or fractal distribution so there's a way in which you know in, in every spiritual experience there's a little taste of the whole as it's refracted into its self-similar part and so you know stating that regarding the idea of there being kind of pure emptiness or pure being and that that the content of that is being unfolded through evolution from a theological perspective i would would sort of say that that there is an element of let's call it deity that that is that that is sort of tracking the the emergence of of time itself right that is that as evolution proceeds in time and and spiritual experience comes increasingly to permeate the finite universe through the experience of free will creatures like us that that part of the accumulative um uh, uh, uh totality of that uh can be understood as like the, the soul of the finite you know that there's an element of god that is that is being found and created at the same time as you know through our experiences right through not just you know the experience so it's of there and tracking everything that's the panthe pantheon well, well that, it, that it's an emerging god that it's a becoming god if you will to, if but it, but it's also god. there already well i would say that there's a there's a pre-existent infinite you know that is that the, the becoming is happening within the larger and what qualities does the infinite have what qualities any? well does it have any yeah, qualities sure. i would say that the that that viewed from within the finite and this is one of the 
the central thesis of my book, The Presence of the Infinite, yeah. that that there's certainly mystery, right? Let's not pretend that we can kind of <laughs> nail it down scientifically, right? But you know, kind of with humility, right? Epistemic yeah, exactly. humility. It's all mystery. We can begin to see, okay, that 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 as the ultimate is experienced by humans, which I think has some evidentiary value, although certainly not conclusive, that there seems to be two you know, essential characteristics of ultimate reality that humans can experience. One is, is it, we might think of these in terms of attractor basins of spiritual experience that, that are kind of in a polarity, you know, with each other. One being the non-dual, as it's come to be known, you know, within progressive spirituality. The practice, there's lots of them, but the primary practice is meditation for enlightenment. And that through that, one comes to experience the ultimate or, you know, a taste of the ultimate. And that experience is you know, empty or or full to the point of that there being no complexity, just no separation, just you know, complete undifferentiated oneness. Mm -hmm. That that's uh, you know that that is a characteristic of ultimate reality that humans have consistently experienced, you know, throughout our history. So let's allow that that's one of them. Mm -hmm. I would say that there there's also an interesting, challenging, and supporting. Uh, uh, experience of ultimate reality that that has its own attractor basin, and this is the experience of of what I call in the book the love of God, exactly. right? Which is full of intentionality and personality and creativity and all these elements that that are kind of pouring out of that sense of love, and love is irreducibly relational. You know that is when you when you if you have to collapse everything to an undifferentiated unity, it's hard philosophically to find a place for this relational thing we call love. And so, nevertheless, some of the world's greatest spiritual realizers have tasted ultimate reality in this way, and, and that is, in a sense, you know, a paradox, because, you know, we, I mean, some have, you know, the perennial philosophy, right, in its immature form, attempted to create a hierarchy of these, these experiences with non-dual oneness at the top and, you know, the experience of the love of God somewhere down below, but I reject that. I, I, I think ultimately, yeah, I do. I think I think that that this this idea that non-dual experience of emptiness or or undifferentiated oneness is is the sole pinnacle of all spiritual yeah, experience. I, 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 the, the defining characteristic of ultimate reality, you know, toot sweet. I would say that no, because there's all this evidence from the history of humanity and the great religious traditions that you know when Jesus says, "By their fruits you shall know them." I think part of we we can judge people's spiritual experiences by the, the fruits of the improvement of the human condition that have come from that. And certainly many improvements, I mean, you know, both major forms of spirituality, the non-dual and the theistic, if you will, both uh, have created trouble in the world, both have pathologies. You know, we can point out the, the shortcomings of all the world's religions in various ways. But I would also say that that um, the quest to understand ultimate reality, as it's been expressed in human history through religion, has indeed uh, imp improved the human condition and and made the world more good, true, and beautiful in in many important ways. That um, even as we're trying to escape, you know, religious spirituality, pre-modern, you know, forms of understanding, um, I, I think that we would be um, remiss in discounting. Uh, uh, the important contribution that's made to human experience. So, so I'm just thinking. I think this is a, that's what I love about having conversations like with people like you, Steve, because I'm just thinking. I think this. I haven't thought of this before. Um, so it's fresh off the. Uh, is I actually think, if anything, I now think it's the other way around, that the experience which 
God's a difficult word, but that transimmanent oneness, that that the experience of love, of that is actually a more emergent experience than the experience of emptiness. I think it's that it was with they got it the wrong way around. And I think that was partly the massive influence that the, the, the East had at a time when the West was full of self-doubt and didn't know what it was thinking. And the reason I say that is because what you were saying, I for me, is one of the reasons I've ended up with this new picture, which is if if you go right, well, what's the ground, as in what the place everything's built on, the simplest quality, it is literally empty of all qualities but being. And you can experience that, and it is non-dual. And from it, the one in relationship with itself through every single relationship, you've that's where the dual gives birth to everything now for me i've abandoned completely phrases like ultimate reality just completely it just feels like it's all reality and there's no ultimate reality or absolute reality or there is simply reality and that reality is emerging and from the potentiality to take on any quality has emerged this whole sequence of qualities in the way that we've outlined them and then the most emergent quality seems to be that conscious of itself. So I said earlier, I've got this, I talk about the individual. It's a phrase that I, I'm playing with because uh, it seems helpful, which is the idea of the individual evolving into the individual, where a, where a individual is an individual conscious of unity with the universe. And the reason I've coined it really is to just give a non it's not in any tradition or it just is a description which enables me to to say outrageously optimistic things like i actually think that's what's going to happen next hmm. is that that's where we're heading i don't know mm -hmm. how long that'll take but i think it's happening sure. and i think our massive expansion of compassion and connection across cultures and across the whole of nature which we've witnessed increasingly over the last period is a sign of that coming and that when individuals come into that, uh, when they realize, well, all I'm saying really is, look, everything is the one in, in relationship with itself. When that really dawns on me and I stop being imagining that I'm somehow just Tim and I realize, oh, well, I am Tim, but Tim is the one in relationship with itself. That's what Tim is meeting Steve who's also the one in relationship to itself and when I really see you I can go wow there's Steve and we're meeting and there's one of us and there's two of us and that profound connection and love that arises from that 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 is actually giving birth to a higher level which is why if you that, that god of love emerges in history it's not there forever. The emptiness comes first. People going, oh, there's, it's all empty. It's all empty. Let's, you can get away from all this living a human being sh shit and all the suffering by being empty. That's a pretty big revelation. But later is going to arise this, oh, but look, you can come into that oneness where you recognize it is all one. And it starts to arise as this enormous love and goodness and 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 the the the, the so that so that the the phrase which I'm just playing with for just to get it, what I'm trying to say is that, that just like at some point, all these individual cells managed to get it together to be a, a communion of cells that allow this. 
in the same way all of the all of those souls that actually experience the or even begin to experience that fundamental oneness form a communion of souls which is giving birth to another level of reality which is what i suspect you and i have experienced at important moments in our lives many times of there's something transcendent and it's all loving and the problem for me was the classic problems with that really of how can something which is all loving be there generating or even allowing 14 billion years of crazy evolution <laughs> I mean, and and all this suffering and and meaningless stupid horrible suffering it's like well this god is not my god this god is insane this god is has got no plan it's got no idea it's not compassionate it's a mad god but what i experience isn't that at all what i experience is this incredibly this universal benevolence this yeah benevolence and and suddenly it was like the shift from oh not at the beginning but where it's not where it's coming from where it's going that suddenly allowed me to go oh i know what that is fantastic <laughs> i can and when i commune in it not only am I having the joy of communing in it, but in some way in my own little, in my own little purpose that you talked about right at the beginning, my evolution as a soul is playing into the evolution of that, which is greater than me. Sure. Well, I would uh, agree with the broad outlines of that. A um, couple of comments I can make around, you know, the edges is that, it, you know, one of the, the characteristics of this, um, you know, the, the polarity of experience within the finite, right, that seems also to be distributed fractally, right, all, you know, most values come in polar sets, um, yep. is that, is that, you know, another way to put it is that the opposite of a small truth is a falsehood, but the opposite of a great truth is another great truth. And so, you know, that, that line is, is actually in my book, the book before Soul Story. So that's how close we're aligned on that one. Okay, great. Right. Well, that, you know, we can, uh, that's a good quote, you know, seen it around. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, the idea that, that we're all one, certainly yeah. a great truth. The opposite truth is that we're all original. You yeah. know, that each one of us, while yeah. still being, you know, partaking in and, and part exactly. of the one, you know, that, that is we each have a partness, if you will, that that has a spiritual value in its own right. Yes. And that's why I resist, um, you know, the, the Eastern idea that we're, that, that, that the goal of our personal evolution is to become like drops cast back into the sea, where yeah. we become anonymous and our individuality or originality yeah. erased. Um, I resist that. Because I, I mean, from a from a kind of a philosophical logical ground, that that would kind of undermine the purpose that we're trying to find in the evolving yeah. universe, right? If it all goes for naught, or we're just we're witnessing, you know, but we're not really participating. We don't have any skin in the game. Uh, we, we're not partially responsible for this becoming into something that that starts to resemble you know that which was before you know the becoming and the being and that that one of the directions of the becoming is toward being but again it's not just a matter of returning i resist this idea of involution and evolution you know or a bindos yeah me too me too because it, it it suggests that it's already predetermined that it's just yeah. the carpet rolling out and that we can just roll it back up again and it's all predetermined and while you know the you know the, the function of providence in time is its own mystery, you know, uh, which we could sort of like just like the purpose of suffering, you know, and evil in the universe is you know those are juicy topics which we can bracket for the moment. The point <laughs> I'm just trying to make here is that um, is that this 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 the the, the, 
participation, that the, the, the spiritual reason for the part, you know, are, are a free will part that can take partial responsibility for perfecting the universe or, you know, bringing the infinite back into the finite. It goes to your question about what's the purpose of it all. And, and I would say that, that, you know, from a cosmic perspective, what the finite adds to the infinite is the individual experience of becoming perfect in time. Now, of course, we have to have an afterlife for that, and we have to have some con conception of, of reaching the end of time or, or evolving to the point where we transcend time and the temporal sequence of our experience. But uh, the idea that, that you know, if, if, if the infinite before the Big Bang, you know, the absolute being of the universe um, is, is already existentially, you know, perfect or eternal or, you know, whatever concepts we want to try to paste onto it, then what does it do? I mean, what what how could see, it possibly see, become more perfect? But that's what it, doesn't it experience it, becoming perfect in time. See, so the reason the reason I had to change my view from that, and I don't want us to get too bogged down in this because we yeah, it's, no, this is it's, it's a tiny little thing. But the reason I had to change my view from that is I didn't know what it meant when I gave it any qualities. When I said it was perfect, well, in what way was it perfect? When it, when it was infinite, well, okay, I can get that. It has no limit, but but what in what way was it could it be perfect or already complete or not com or anything it was like what and where do those qualities come from and it was that which motivated me to go okay well maybe i don't need that maybe i don't need that maybe i all all i need is that it is the potential to become anything and that the most the most expressive uh the, the where it's going and who knows where it goes next i mean i'm, I'm no idea i just know it's greater than me and i know that i'm part of it and that i am moving towards it um and that feeling the thing that you said that, that, that once it's once it gets to life you get a certain amount of telos and then once it gets to intentionality and once you get you begin to get meaning as a reality that the, the universe has developed meaning now it didn't have any meaning it always has purpose in the sense that it's always realizing more and then suddenly that becomes like conceptualized you've got meaning and you've got conceptions of what is good and you know you look back through history and they're not very for us not very nice conceptions often of what is good but nevertheless they're the beginnings of what will lead to us and and i suspect with your looking at politics certainly with mine that it's about how, what can how we now how we conceive of what would be good for us and that it, that all of that is just ever evolving towards it and sure. that there so there's nothing outside at all it is there's just this one process which is reaching a greater level yeah i mean i think if, if we think about the the, the pre-big bang universes at least you know to, to put a, an erroneous temporal frame on it but nevertheless for purposes of yes. before there was time i love that <laughs> yeah, yeah all right like what's north of the north pole right yeah. <laughs> but but before um, time. uh uh the that the, the, the sort of a concept of the the pre-big bang being a pure potentiality right you know another way of, of describing what you just we just yeah. said i think that's that that's probably uh, a useful spiritual truth from one angle you know and yet i think we look at or speculate about um um this absolute pure being as uh from other angles that would recognize um, not just the potentiality of purpose, but purpose itself as as uh, evidenced by the creation. I mean, you know, there's this finite universe 
there's uh, the idea that it happened just by accident, I think is, uh, or that there was no intentionality behind it. I mean, if you just look at the fine tuning, right, of, of the, the cosmological con constants um, that have been discovered by physics in the last few decades, you know, the, 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 the unreasonable explanatory power of mathematics, right, all of these sort of foundations of physics. Yeah, I'm not sure any of that does see Steve anymore. Well, okay. I mean, we can but, argue. And, and the reason, the reason, the reason yeah. I don't is because I think there might be other ways of understanding it. And, and I, I so much want to talk to you about some other things, but I really, it's been so interesting. It feels like I'd be amiss just to leave it because we've gone so deep into it. Right. Um, but I, I, because, because, I, I think the, the the key idea, which I would come back to, I mean, you're absolutely right, of course, everything you're saying is, my problem is if you've got intentionality at the beginning, now you haven't got the one, you've got more than the one, because it's got intentionality, it's got a quality, and it's doing something, so it's already two at least, and you you kind of fill, and, and what I find, that what I, what I was doing was I was kind of slipping in God at the beginning again, with all sorts of intentionality but even though the words i was using and made it sound like it was much cleaner than that and so i wonder whether we can see that that the the that what's happening is that mathematics works well at the beginning well first of all yes you're right about the the patterns that emerge very early my own suspicion would be that that's because this isn't the first universe and that that things have been built up but the, the, the pattern, once you acknowledge that, the pattern is that the universe is, there's a lovely phrase used by a whole lot of physicists recently in a paper last year, the autodidactic universe. This is, a it's learning. It's learning how to be everything. And it's setting up what I call passivity, the habits of nature, Charles Peirce's thing. The, 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 it's, it's, it's learning how to be whatever it is. It's now, and it's learning how to be you and me. And, and that, 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 you don't need anything to set that intelligence up because that intelligence is what it is. It is the, it is the patterns forming. And once you get the patterns forming, they tend to repeat because the patterns are informing the potentiality of being. So the potentiality of being is more likely to follow that pattern. So the, on the quantum level, you get that possibility. It's neither here nor there, but it's kind of more here over there somewhere. And, and that by the time it emerges on another level, the patterns become very strongly established, the, the habits of nature start to establish, and then by the time they reach life, it's much more variable again. They're not so strongly established. By the time it's reached the psyche, it's very hard to know what someone will say next. It's not established at all. Although I do speak with this tone of voice and I can only quote these words that I know, and I can only draw on the thoughts I've had before or the books I've read, that kind of pattern. Sure. So that everything becomes part of that, that one, the universe becoming intelligent. Well, and, and so there's many sort of features of that description that I can endorse and agree with. Certainly, as we talked about, you know, Zimzum or however you say it, that, yeah. that at the beginning, you know, there's just the debris of the Big Bang, right? Just this sort of hydrogen gas. Yeah. And, and, you know, nothing could be more simple and empty in a sense. Yeah. And yet, you know, we have this emergence. It, it, th that description dovetails with your earlier um, claim that the, that the deity or, you know, whatever we're calling the the, the the transcendent yeah. that, that that is um that, that's you know kind of coming into being with the universe itself that it's coterminous with the evolution of the of the universe and that the meaning and the purpose and the intention and all that is what is arising you know kind of in in totality or or in, yeah. in you know within the finite and, and before yeah. that wasn't that um 
you know, I think that's an interesting idea. I certainly don't know whether that's entirely true. I think part of it, we can see that that almost any conception we can have of these theological ideas are conceptual and hence partial, hence, you know, grounded in, in our human level of development and therefore, you know, impoverished by all kinds of misunderstandings or you know, lack of understanding. But even with that level of humility about what we can speculate regarding, you know, the, the ultimate nature of things or the pure nature of the just reality, capital R, um, <laughs> you know, I think that, that, that the value of, of those you, things, that you know, is, is, is really measured by how much spiritual growth it can achieve, right? In other words, uh, that is truth. If, if, if we go back to the way I defined truth, goodness, and beauty at the beginning of our conversation as the movement toward the whole or, you know, greater perfection are the terms I like to use, although that's, I understand that might trip people up. But but this kind of becoming more uh, that 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 is in a sense what this is all about, and I think that there definitely is spiritual truth in the conception that you've just framed, and that it can help people become more in important ways. And yet, I will say, as long with everything I would say about it, either in agreement or in contradiction, it's certainly partial, but worth worth considering. Definitely partial. I, I think my whole conception of truth has changed considerably. I, you know, I, I I'm very interested by etymology and and because it shows the evolution of language and mm -hmm. if everything's evolved then and a big breakthrough for me was going back and going what what is, what is that true what is, where did that come from and just going oh i see so it just means trustworthy that's what it means it's like that's a trustworthy idea you can live with that idea and that's a fault and false of course it means untrustworthy it's deception that's where that word comes from and and you suddenly have a very like oh yeah okay so is that trustworthy well i don't know maybe let's try that it's like and that's so oh, there's a whole lot in there and you and i, I, I i'd like to I, i'm gonna leave it yeah the trustworthy uh definition of what's true i i love that i think yeah that's a, it's very simple isn't it it's you know when it transcends elegant. the correspondence theory of truth exactly because you know, then uh, you don't have that problem it's partial it's like <laughs> right right it's like even, but then, you know we could elaborate on that and partially I trustworthy it's like you know or but you get that sense of well it's plausible or it's not plausible, yeah. or it's yeah. it encompasses more of what we know rather than less of what we know. And yeah, yeah. It's it, it, one thing. It reminds me of um, a, a book which influenced me, a 2013 book called "The Experience of God" by David Bentley Hart. Uh, he's never a, heard of it. He's a theologian, so I highly recommend this book. Hart Hart's okay. a powerhouse, and um, he uses the 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 Hindu conception of Sat Chit Ananda, right, yep. being consciousness and bliss, mm -hmm. as a sort of a grand cosmic frame where he explains that consciousness and being are in a sense co-creating each other because consciousness needs being to come into existence, but being needs consciousness to experience it, to make it real. And that these two interacting are what create evolution or, or you know, what's been reduced to the idea of bliss. Uh, so so th that's a whole, you know, category of discussion by itself, it but it does kind of turn back to your idea of, of, you know, what is being and what is consciousness and how do those two create each other and, and what came before and how do we fit time and all of this? I mean, I don't think time can be understood in any kind of adequate way philosophically without some kind of theological discussion like we're having. So, you know, again, it's, it's woolly, but Jesus, there's just so much anyway. I want to talk to you about. Okay. Cause you know, it's like, for me, consciousness is, an emergent form of the relationship of the one with itself and you know when when the one can process itself in a very high definition definition way it becomes conscious so again a big jump for me is that 
I'm not sure there is anything which I would use the noun consciousness for anymore, or only very delicately, because it feels like it's a verb. It's, it's actually about my relationship. I'm conscious of you. I am not conscious of my wife in the house, although now I'm thinking about it, I'm conscious that she is in the house. You know, it's like wherever right. I- But we can still talk about processes as nouns. A process is Yes, a we noun. can, we can. And I, so, I'm time, but, but there's, a, there's a difference between the idea of there being a thing called consciousness, especially like a pure thing called consciousness, which was absolutely central to me for decades. And it's completely gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, it comes from the cosmology of, of it does. Uh, it comes from idealism, right? Where everything yeah. is consciousness. And yeah. yeah. Just in the same way that the good, the true, and the beautiful are, are more processes than things. Yeah. I would say consciousness is similar. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm, I, I don't mean we can't use noun for it. Of course we can, because nouns are very helpful. Um, it, it, I mean, the idea of this pure consciousness, like the Satchitanan, um, right? It's it's just gone. And it feels much better. But anyway, I don't want to get into that with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's, you know, it's always good to, to pour acid on every idea you cherish. Oh, and, Jesus and, Christ! You know, I've just spent my so long doing that. I mean, right? I, I by list the things I feel I've been wrong about, it just kind of gets longer the older I get. And here's one of them. And this, I'd like to make a in our conversation, just because I. Right. I'm going to kick myself if we spend all our time arguing, not arguing, but discussing yeah, um, yeah. time and you know where does it, how. What's the relationship between evolution and the transcendent, which is what I think we've been exploring. Because that's the beginning maybe, but this is where we are now. And one of the things I'm really interested in opening up with you, because you're way ahead of me, I think, on what you're doing with this, I'm just still playing with the ideas, is around the impact this has, not just as an individual, but also collectively. And that's always been a passion of mine, especially when I was younger, and it's really come back for me. It's like, what does all of this mean uh, for how we organize society and how we relate to each other? And well, let me, I'll just very, this, so, so there's been a lot of, I've been wrong about things um, metaphysically, and it's been exciting, a bit humiliating as well. Um, and then there's been a lot of, I've been wrong about things politically which has been absolutely shocking because it's just felt like, you know, I'm in my 60s and just seeing prejudices I never even knew I had. I mean, just like, oh, my God, things I picked up in my 20s that are still there, even though consciously I'd rejected them ages ago. And like, wow. And so it's been like a little awakening, really, and just and quite. Yeah, like, whoa, Tim, really? <laughs> um, but it's been significant and it's been going on for quite a while now, but it's been this last phase. And part of that, um, uh, here's, I'll just say this little thought, it's a silly little thought, um, not silly, but little, um, which, and then let you roll on what you're doing with spiral dynamics and all of that stuff. Um, when, I, I wrote a book a long time ago. I, I was very involved in uh, critiquing religion and looking at, um, the difference between what, what we called in the book literalists or fundamentalists and mystics or Gnostics. And one of the insights, which little insights that felt big as well, was, you know, the, the peop the, these people, these Gnostics in all these traditions that I've written about, have got far more in common with each other than they have with the fundamentalists or the literalists in their own tradition. 
and they're all off fighting each other and all these guys are seeing something the same but from a different perspective and when i listen to them i learn something from all of them and 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 i i love them even though they're saying quite different things they're like you know whoever it is it's like yeah that's good and and politically increasingly as i freed myself from my own prejudices it feels the more like the same that that uh i'm looking for people who have this individual insight really whether they think about it in those terms or not and that the telltale sign is is a universal benevolence that arises from that recognition and that I had associated that universal benevolence with a certain perspective on politics. And then I discovered that I was completely wrong and that there were people in quite different political traditions than the ones I'd been in who also had that universal benevolence, but I hadn't been able to see it because I just assumed that they were, to use the classic thing, you know, if they didn't agree with me, they must be evil or stupid. And they weren't either. They were full of goodness and very wise they just didn't have the same perspective and so it felt like the same thing and and i had this <laughs> this kind of like little moment that we were all kind of crystallized for a second this time this bit of it crystallized which was thinking about football soccer where i heard a commentator one day watching an england match and someone just said so do you think england will win and uh, he said yeah yeah i think they're going to win and he said, oh, that's interesting, because we just talked to your mate, uh, Gary, and he thought England was going to lose. And then he said, and this is my moment, he just went, yeah, but Gary's a defender. They're all pessimists. <laughs> I'm an attacker. We're optimists. <laughs> and suddenly it was like, it was like the left and the right. It was, it was progressives and conservatives. It was like those going, come on, give me the ball, let's go. And the people of that going, no, but if we all do that, it's all going to go terribly wrong and that actually that what the that what i wanted to be part of was was like a individual team in which you absolutely had people who were had a had the same universal it's no good making the team with people who didn't have the universal benevolence so it's not like well everyone's in no it has to be that but that what they shared was that vision of genuine benevolence but quite different perspectives on how to enact that in a very very complex world and that that was our best and that that would be a new thing in the world because i don't see that i just see people with different perspectives shouting at each other increasingly sure sure wow well that's that's a a rich um setup for how i could describe the work of the institute for cultural evolution think tank uh our our mission is to try to help i mean you know there is an international politics, and to the extent that it can develop, I'm for it. But at the moment, at this time in history, politics are still largely, you know, contained by nation states. So if we're focused on politics, we have to focus on America. And so, you know, I ask your UK audience to, you know, forgive my American centrism, but but for purposes of politics, that's where uh, we have an opportunity to improve things. So we define ourselves in terms of America, and uh, our goal is to help America grow into a better version of itself. Right, so what does that look like? Um, you know, we, we, we there's there's a whole narrative of of the evolution of culture, right, over the last 500 years or the last 5,000 years, and uh, how we can uh, uh, help. I mean, we can't socially engineer 
uh, political evolution or cultural evolution, but I think we can't garden for emergence, right? There's a degree of grace, but there's also, you know, being able to see how- Can you say that phrase again, Steve? We can what for emergence? Garden for emergence. Garden, garden for emergence. Yeah, and it's like, it's a new form of life. You know, we can get the soil, we can plant the seed, we can water it, we can make sure there's sun, but yeah, ultimately yeah. it's up to this new form of life to sprout up. Yeah. And so that's the way evolutionary emergence itself at least can be compared to. Um, we're working to help create, to participate in the emergence of uh, the next great, great stage of cultural evolution, yeah. which I think is primed for um, some kind of synthesis, you know, with progressive postmodernism. I mean, that's that's its own definition, this worldview beyond modernity. But the, the prog- progressive postmodern political perspective gains traction in, you know, gains political will, gains adherence, gains influence in history by pushing off against the abundant accumulating pathologies or negative externalities of modernity, right? So it it sort of defines itself in this current of antithesis, right? It, it, it rejects, it sort of gets power by pointing out, you know, how, how fucked up, you know, the Western world is. And, and there's some legitimate critiques that can be landed and some real threats that need to be addressed. And so I think that this, this progressive thing we've seen, you know, we can, in my book, developmental politics, I trace it back to really the beginning of the Enlightenment with characters like Rousseau, you know, so this kind of countercurrent to modernity is developing for, you know, 200 years, but it really sort of bursts on the scene as its own level of emergence in the 60s, and this this kind of countercultural worldview has emerged, and now in America and many parts of the UK and other parts of the developed world, it's become a kind of the new establishment, right, it's kind of taken over many institutions, at least culturally, Politically, it's not quite as successful, but but culturally, it's it's gained major ground, yeah. especially uh, since Donald Trump was elected, who in some ways was a kind of a symptom of the growing cultural power of progressivism, but also yeah. an accelerant of it. Yeah, and so so we're seeing this 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 upward current of the good, which takes the form of an antithesis, a rejection, which moves the ball in important ways. But then I think it, it, it's as its own accumulating pathologies, right? The, the sort of the the moral exhaustion of the path of rejection, um, it, it begins to you know create the opportunity for for a, a synthesis, right? I mean, you know, Hegel saw it clearly. I mean, I'm not a Hegelian, but still, right? This this yeah. establishment, you know, uh, Western world that that's kind of a truce between tr- tr- the old traditional you know religious civilization and the new you know secular modernist civilization. That these become the establishment. That's the thesis. The antithesis is a progressive move that paves the way for a, for a synthesis, a political cultural synthesis, and and one of the key characteristics or the the methods of this of political synthesis is to recognize what you just said, and that is, you know, the team spirit of a soccer team or football team involves both offense and defense, right? It, it's it's a polarity, and and if that polarity were to become dissociated so that the defense was only concerned about defending and didn't care what the offense was succeeding or not, or indeed was against the offense, then the team, you know, the goal of the team's clearly undermined, right? So we can begin to see how these polarities that we've been talking about a little bit, you know, I mean, in the political realm, we could point to liberty and equality, right? Or grievance and gratitude. Ideally, these are both ways of creating value, but they're, they're interdependent in that their value-creating capacity depends on moderation, you know, challenge and support from the other, right? And so one by itself, uh, uh, dissociated from its polar counterpart, becomes quickly pathological, 
right? Just like we see with progressivism, it's all about grievance and gratitude's nowhere to be found. And so that grievance becomes, you know, so, so, but we don't want to just tack back to the right. We're certainly not right wing and we're horrified by the American right in many ways, right? As I'm sure, you know, many of your, uh, but, but we're also sort of horrified by the left where, you know, we, we need a more evolved left and a more evolved right if we're going to, um, you know, reclaim a functional democracy. And, and so part of that is seeing that there's a kind of a prime political polarity, which is that, and, and it's even can be seen biologically in the sense that, I mean, people are predetermined this way, but they're born with predilections. And indeed they can move from one side to the other as they mature in life. But a way of describing these essential predilections is those who are more focused on fixing what's wrong and those who are more concerned about preserving what's right, you know, yeah. defense yeah. and yeah. offense. Yeah. And, and that these two, ideally, that, that when we understand the way these polarities work, yeah. we understand that, that we, we, even when we have a preferred pole, that, that our ability to, to create the value that our pole, like, you know, I'm oriented toward fixing what's wrong. But I've come to understand that, that my ability to do that depends on affirming the value of the opposing pole. So affirming the evolutionary necessity of preserving what's right. Beautiful. You know, where we see the, the pathology expressed in this fixing what's wrong gone too far is that it wants to burn everything down. Like just yeah. in the French Revolution, we're just going to rename the days of the week. We're going to we're going to strangle all the priests. I mean, they were going to just wipe away what came before. And that may sound attractive and refreshing, but ultimately we just have to start from the beginning and make all the same mistakes again. So the way evolution itself works, right, not just in cosmology and biology, but in cultural evolution, there's this structure of emergence that it's transcending and including, right? In the same way that, that our bodies, you see this pattern of you know, atoms transcended and included by molecules, molecules transcended and included by cells, cells by complex organisms. That same pattern of transcendence and include, inclusion occurs in this intersubjective realm of cultural evolution, whereby values cohere in these systems, which we recognize as worldviews, Right, the pre-modern worldview, the modern worldview, the postmodern worldview, and this synthetic worldview that we're working to help participate in the emergence of, um, and define, and understand, and apply, and communicate. Um, so, as a think tank, to make it concrete, we're trying to foster or, or you know, cultivate cultural evolution uh, in America in 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 really you know in three ways. Um, one is we're, we're recognizing this, we're, we're using this developmental perspective. It's, it's a politics of culture that focuses upstream from, you know, the politics of Washington, D.C. It recognizes that the culture war is a cultural problem, and it's, it's, it's resulted primarily from America growing, right? That is, part of the culture's evolved significantly and part hasn't, and it's become stretched out so that it no longer coheres as a governable entity, which means that, that, these forces that are pulling us apart, that that's in a sense, it can be recognized at least, you know, from a hopeful perspective as the way evolution works at every level, right? As, as Herbert Spencer prior to Darwin described evolution, as he said, you know, that, that it's a differentiation followed by integration at a higher level. That's another description of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, right? So if, if that's one of the master patterns of the structure of emergence, then we can anticipate that, that the, you know, the fullness of the antithesis, right, the, the uh, political or at least cultural ascendancy of progressivism in the United States is seen over the last two years especially, that that is a, um, that, that's a sort of a, 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 for, a, a form of cultural evolution 
that that makes the way for a higher level of integration. It's a differentiation, right? Like like that the, we're, we're we're hyperpolarized, and that can lead to decay, right? Nothing's certain. I mean, the possibility of regression or civil war is in some ways uh, stronger than ever. And yet, I'd also say that these same urgent, problematic life conditions illuminate the need to evolve, and, th and that's part of what we stand for, is what political evolution looks like. And so, again, to be as concrete as I can, that means that, that people who take this um, developmental perspective, or, or what we might even call a post-progressive perspective, it's not anti-progressive, it tries to include all of the important gifts of progressivism, but transcend, you know, to reject the rejection, right? So even Hegel, you know, he didn't use the term thesis, antithesis, synthesis very much. He referred to it as an affirmation and then a negation and then negation of the negation. So the synthesis is partially the negation of the negation, not a complete wiping out of the antithesis or the negation, but a, but a, the 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 constraining of it so that it's not purely rejectionistic, right? So, so in this new emerging political perspective, we're trying to embody the polarity within ourselves. Even though we may acknowledge that we, you know, we prefer fixing what's wrong to preserving what's right, we know that our ability to fix what's wrong is interdependent with this other one. And so we're, we're, we're trying to master the polarity, bringing it within ourselves, and thereby creating a synthesis, you know, depolarizing our own thinking such that our larger body politic can, can move into this less polarized condition. The poles will still be there. They'll still be a right and a left, but there'll be a right and a left that respect each other, you know, sufficiently to engage in the compromises which a democratic system requires. Yeah, beautifully put, very similar vision, very similar. Um, and, and, and I think what you're talking about is probably what we can hope for as a next step and i would like to imagine that one day you know there's actually a conscious you know i i really want the the prime minister on the one house of the one side of the house of commons when he's being criticized to go oh thank you so much yes no what you're saying is worth looking out for yes thank you i'm really pleased you said that we'll bear that in mind no sure. <laughs> well they're in a defensive crouch because, right? they, you know, yeah. they can't allow any of the because other they side. don't think they're on the same side and so what mm -hmm. i'm interested in is how we can get to the, uh, gather together people who have radically different perspectives of what's good small states big state you know whatever it is intervention non-intervention um who recognize they're on the same side and the reason they're on the same side is they have that same benevolence not just for their group uh, but for for all and, and you know in the wider sense which comes from that sense of oneness with humanity or oneness with nature and oneness with the universe ultimately but and that then the group thing which is so big at the moment of course becomes your area of responsibility if i had to have an ethic if i if i tried to create an ethic for what i mean by individual the closest i can come is it would be universal benevolence and individual responsibility it's like there's a universal, you know, and but I'm Tim. So where do I express that? Well, here with my kids, my wife, my friends, my town, my concerns, my things which come up for me. And I can't take on the whole thing. That'd be impossible. And therefore, then the group becomes not not the things which shows you're representing this group as opposed to, but actually it becomes the place you express the benevolence. Sure. Well, and, and another way of framing that um, would be the way to manage or work with or practice this integration of polarities 
and, and that's a polarity itself, which is challenge and support. You know, it's a little bit like uh, you might think about parenting. That's right? really nice. You really want to give unconditional love to your kids, right? That's really nice. But, but you'd be disserving them if you didn't expect things of them and require things yeah. of them and yeah. challenge them yeah. to live up to their potential as you know moral beings and, yeah. and you know, humans that are trying to make the world a better place. And so this idea of challenge and support is how the, the kind of indestructible nature of the polarity can be managed in a way that doesn't try to clue them together. We're not trying to eliminate the tension. We're trying to work with the tension to, to maximize the value creating capacity of both poles. And it's creative, so, isn't it? I mean, if I look at yeah. what we've done just in this conversation, I mean, it's why it's a dialectic. It's a conversation. Right. Right. Has been has been a I mean I think a really enjoyable combination of challenges and support. There's been areas where we've just gone oh I completely agree with all of that. Anyway, this area where maybe it's it's like because that's where it's creative, and but sure. the the level of being able to find the place where you're on the same side, like looking for truth. You know what I love about people who genuinely want to seek wisdom is that they're on the same side as me because if they say something better, it's like yes. Yeah, it's a spirit, team spirit of team I was, truth. Right? I was just wrong. And that's be and what's more exciting than finding out you've been wrong? I, I don't think yeah. it's anything really. It, yeah. But but so, so let me say it just another quick thing, just to kind of define yeah. for your yeah. listeners, you know, kind of what our program is concretely. Um, so so we're we're trying to create this new political identity or this new political uh perspective that yeah. that transcends and include you know, that there's little common ground left to be found. So we're trying to stake out higher ground. This higher ground where the polarity can be in a container of agreement, of challenge and support. Yep. Um, and, and so that means building this new worldview. So, you know, one of the ways to describe it, you know, in order to change a system, you're not going to get in and try to persuade the people in the system. You're going to create an adjacent alternative system that's more functional and people migrate to that. So that's, you know, job number one. But even within the politics of America, as we find them, we're, we're we, we, despite everything I just said about polarities, um, we we're also recognizing that the that left and right is no longer that adequate to describe no, the, the political no. landscape, yeah, yeah. and that from a developmental perspective, we can see at least in America there's you know three or four or five major worldview systems, right? The traditional, you know, this modern secular, and then this progressive. And what makes them distinct is that they're each dialectically related to each other, right? That they're, they're each pushing off against each other, even though they interact. Even though people may have loyalties to more than one, they're you know in history in the sequence of their emergence as well as in their interaction in politics, you know that, that we could see this this dialectic. It's been described by a variety of uh, American commentators as the four Americas, right? And and so we could see you know the tr traditional America, the traditional worldview, the progressive worldview, and then you know modernity is kind of being pulled you know to one or the other, and so that kind of means that modernity split. And we have these four, you know, the three worldviews can be understood politically, uh, you know, when we put them on the left right spectrum, even though we discount that concept, you know, we can see these four Americas, they're relating to each other. And, and we want to help each one of those become more evolved on its own terms. It's not just about getting them all to come up to this higher ground. It's about helping the recognizing that each one of these major ideological positions or worldviews has both dignities and disasters, right? Positive values that we need. They're part of the structure of emergence that if we were to eliminate the larger structure would collapse. You know, we need the civilizing influence of traditional values in order for modernity to become, you know, keep it from collapsing into something that's more, you know, raping and pillaging. You know, we need the individual liberties of modernity 
to kind of uh, uh, take us beyond the, you know, the, the conformism of traditionalism. And then, you know, the, all of the negative externalities that modernity creates, right, environmental degradation, you know, gross inequality, et cetera, that we need progressivism to come along as the critique of that and recognize that we need a greater sense of transcendence than modernity delivers. So all of these worldviews, independent of this, you know, emergent synthesis, have ways that we can we can tease apart the dignities from the disasters. We can make traditionalism so, more beautiful, true, and good by by getting them to rec to, to vivify their own values more completely and take responsibility for their own pathologies more thoroughly. So I so I really I really like that. I, I, I want to just come in because it, that's a crucial thing you're saying in terms of me getting to understand the whole vision actually, which I've discussed with 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 you know over the years with lots and lots of people um, in the integral movement and, and, and the spiral dynamics movement, Don Beck and all sorts. But what I liked about what you said there, which really helped me, because I'm very attracted to it, but I also have some slight reservations, which are always hard to pin down in the way that it's sometimes presented. And I think it's, and, and what you've said might have helped me a lot with that, because what worries me about it is it, if you looked at it superficially, it looks like it's a it's a great description of the historical way that ideas developed in our culture. But it's the idea that this is this is not as evolved as this. And, 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 and then when I compare that, you know, and so it's like, oh, well, there's the traditionalists. They haven't evolved yet to the, this level and they haven't evolved to this level. And I, I'm very susceptible to thinking like that. So I'm skeptical. I try and be careful. Excellent. I and, look forward to talking about it. Yeah, go on. Yeah. And and so that's when I come back to, so well, when I think about spiritual traditions, I don't think like that. I don't think, well, Islam came after Christianity. So Christianity hasn't evolved to it. You know, it's like, I just see these pockets of ideas flourishing and coming up and each one is evolving and interacting. And, and, and that's where I see there are people who would be, far more in harmony with the traditional what would be sometimes called right or thing like who seem like really emergent thinkers to me now um they and and but it's it's almost like they're they're evolving in this that sort of way of thinking and then there's other people i know who are developed who, who are much more on the left who are evolving in that way of thinking and that's where i end up with like ah but the people who and and so the people that feel like the, the fundamentalists use the the image, it feels like, you know, when I look at some of the woke groups or, and when I look at say QAnon, I don't, you know, I'm in England, so, you know, but when I look at them, yeah. uh, they look the same to me. They sure. look fundamentally full of people who lack any foundational reflection. They can't doubt the foundational ideas. And then when I look at people who may be more traditionalist, Roger Scruton, Thomas Sowell, uh, even someone like um, Jordan Peterson, they can. They, they're able to reflect deeply. And that allows them, therefore, to, to, to see things in a much more emergent way. And so it feels like what you were saying captured a bit of that, which is like, look, they're all evolving. So that, that it's not about a ladder. It's more like a, a flowering of different ways of perceiving. Right. Well, so let me speak to that, because that's yeah. the key uh, um, kind of idea that we've been working on and developing. And, and okay. that's one of the things that distinguishes me from, you know, Ken Wilber, for example. Uh -huh. I'm, not, I'm not a Wilberian. I certainly respect him and have learned a lot from him. But I, my interpretation of, of integral philosophy 
which you know I, I define broadly as this attempt to understand the meaning of evolution in the universe, right? And so there's many great minds have contributed I, to that. I love that. Yeah. And and uh, you know again we honor Claire Graves, right, the founder of yeah. what you know was popularized as spiral dynamics, a major contributor to integral philosophy. Yeah. But I, I certainly do not um, teach or really really even want to validate too strongly the spiral dynamics conception as it's been you know although you know, certainly been influenced by it. So there's lots of truth yep. there, yep. but, but, but our description of this evolution of consciousness and culture doesn't track perfectly with that. Okay. And so, so, so one of the ways we break from that is that, 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 you know, Graves was a psychologist, like Wilbur has, you know, kind of has a psychological orientation yep. whereby a, a lot of weight has been placed on developmental psychology, right. Yep. Which kind of traced back to Piaget or James yep. Mark. And there, the idea is that, that we see children maturing and that, that we can see that trajectory you know, continue in adulthood. And so therefore, this is this idea of ranking people's individual consciousness as being more evolved or less evolved. And I think that, that then when you try to combine that with culture and say that, that consciousness and culture emerge along the same parallel lines and that, you know, that, that if you identify with a more evolved form of culture, you're a more evolved human. And I would reject that. You know, I would agree with you that, that people like Fantastic. Thomas Sowell and, you know, some of the heroes that are associated with the more traditional or right wing, that some of these individuals are, are more evolved than, than just about anybody we could point to as being associated, for example, with progressive culture. So, so, so we can decouple the evolution of consciousness from the evolution of culture and understand that the evolution of culture does influence consciousness, but it's a domain of freedom and development that, that isn't constrained by cultural evolution by itself, right? We have biological consciousness that emerges from below, you know, like our evolutionary psychology, and, and that doesn't change. I mean, because it's kind of, I mean, the extent that our, our brains haven't evolved very much in the last 40,000 years, that consciousness is fairly tied to our biology. But then we have cultural consciousness, which has emerged significantly. And so we have to hold two things at once. That, 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 that first of all, the, the estimate of anyone's you know, growth or development or maturation or evolution isn't linear, can't be simply assigned to some scale. And yet the other truth is that, that as culture evolves, we can, uh, we can observe certain lines that are clearly more evolved than others. So one line would be inclusivity. Right, the more inclusive, the more those who are worthy of moral consideration, at least in the cultural side, that represents cultural evolution. Or, you know, another way of putting it would be an objective marker of cultural evolution is the equality of women. Right, the more the more equal the women are society, the more evolved that society is. But that doesn't mean that there are people who can are, participate in that cultural so, agreement. So, so, Steve, would not you be, say not very sure? So, so I really, so I'm, I just want to pick up on some of the things you say because I don't want them to go past too fast. Um, I, I, I really, really love that. I really resonate with that, and and it has really helped me, you know, because I, I, that's exactly the, you, you, you've addressed my reservation, which is, you know, it's with 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 kids learning. I was thinking about this just before we came online, actually, because you know, when kids learn you by and large you know you can't run till you can walk it's just a fact you need this before this you can't you know if you're going to learn to read you need to learn to talk first and you know and so there's a it's just not possible that you can do this you can't read out loud into yourself till you can read out loud whatever the that's probably not the perfect metaphor but you know what i'm trying to say sure, whereas with culture it doesn't look like that to me it doesn't look like well you've got to go through these stages before you can reach this it, well, i think it's a big up. fallacy that you have to pass through every stage yeah 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 and yeah, so i think it's tripped up integral philosophy and it's yeah. to get gain a greater traction politically 
great that you've uh, lovely to hear you say that because it keeps all of the wisdom of this is the way it happens to evolve in our culture and there's pros and cons in all of it but allows this kind of more like actual evolution where you know it's not like well you lizards you haven't made it to being a mammal yet <laughs> it's like right. well, they're not going to become mammals they're just going to go off and be weirder lizards and the same with everything it's like you've got a cultural niche and you're exploring it right and right. then so, so this integral worldview as is, is sometimes called right this post postmodern political identity or developmental perspective that this is a kind of higher ground that's welcome to everyone who can yes. make meaning according yes. to its understanding. And you don't have to go through, you don't have to wear tie-dye yes. for 10 years to get there, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. You don't and, have to. And, and, and so we're welcoming everyone, right? Who, who can so the, be a so the, when, when you said the markers of inclusivity, yeah, I get that. And well, the, the two markers that I've been playing with, I, that markers is your word, obviously, I'm just picking it up, but it, with the individual idea, what the reason i've chosen that word and why it works for me is because first of all spiritually was the idea of it's an individual conscious of unity and what i work a lot against is people who think you've got to get rid of your individuality because otherwise you can't have unity whereas like you i think no the evolving individual is the foundation to awakening to oneness it's not an impediment to it sure and then when i look at and but then when i apply that same idea of of an individual conscious of unity or the one in relationship to itself as an individual the markers that jump out at me and you seem to be pointing to them is inclusivity which is that universality that your benevolence is reaching out it's not just your family it's not just your tribe it's not it's even people you'll never meet in another country it's even it's nature it's others it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then the other one looks to me like the intensive the intense evolution of the individual so that when you talk about things like the equality of women the bit in there that really feels like the nub of that is individuality that you know that i want my daughter to be treated to have the same op opportunities as my son because they're both individuals and fundamentally i want to see you as steve not a white guy or a this or a that or your sexual it's like to see you as you and so then i look at society that the evolution that's happened over the whole of history and and it looks like well you've got two things happening one is you've got the intense and steady evolution of the individual from the point where literally everyone was doing the same thing to the differentiation of roles to di and then people thinking for themselves and wearing different clothes and you know you go back and everyone's wearing the same hats you know it's like really funny isn't it not very long ago you look in England it's like you can tell what classes everyone is because they all wear the same hat you know and now we don't you know all of that so we individuated and then part of that the great triumphs of the movement with race and with sex and all of it to me is like is that same thing it's individual individual not collective not collective and then at the same time we've gone for tr from a history of a of of groups within which what's holding it together as an organism is is kindness this is how we treat it and then what's on the outside is unkindness so you've got a history of you know groups raiding and you, you can do anything to the other absolutely anything because they're the other right and 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 history is just full of that isn't it this but mentally kind inside, that's all moral. You don't do that. And then outside, anything you like. And then slowly that has increased until 
what strikes me about our modern world is the level of compassion is enormous. And, and that's what makes me incredibly optimistic that this new level that you're, you're working to bring in, it, it's definitely coming if we, can, if we can keep that momentum up. Sure. I mean, the, the, again, the regression is always a possibility. Of course. I mean, yes. I know. I know. Determined in advance. I would oh, say you're right. Not you're at, right. At our yeah, human yeah. level. That is, we, it's, we're partially responsible I for agree. helping to bring totally. it about. And yeah. that goes back to the purpose of the universe we discussed at the beginning of our conversation. Oh, damn. That's such a good line. We've got to end on it. <laughs> that is just, that's, that is, that's a, such a beautiful circle. Um, because, you know, let's end with that thought because. Because that is right, Steve. It's like, you know, the whole thing, that's to me where it all fits together. Exactly there. It's like, you know, if we're evolving into this higher thing, then then that will affect everything. Step and, by evolutionary step. You know, it's the adjacent possible. That's one of the beautiful, you know, that that properly adjacent possible. That's a, I yeah, haven't heard yeah, that that's phrase. a Stuart Kaufman phrase. You know, in other words, that, that, oh, that is it? moves to what's possible that's next door to where it is now. I right? love that. And that's how, you know, another way of understanding this transcend and include structure of emergence. Yeah. And that this, this larger structure is not just cosmological and biological. It continues, you know, with human history and that our opportunity to contribute to it, both in terms of, of making the levels that currently exist more functional and, and harmonious and aligned to the one, but also participating in the emergence of this next step. I think nothing could be, um, you know, more sacred, more transcendent, more, more you know, the, the, the higher purpose that we need to, to solve the meaning crisis, right? The, the, the crisis which you uh, identify at the beginning of soul story. I think that evolutionary spirituality, you know, it, it's like this mother load of truth, you know, that have the, this, this recently discovered structure of emergence in the universe is a spiritual teaching in its own right. And that properly understood, it's a spiritual practice, it's a spiritual teaching, and it's a, most importantly, it's a spiritual experience. I see I was wrong again. There was some, uh, there was an even better thought that we were going to have. <laughs> Steve, it's been such a delight. Thanks so yeah, much. Also, um, absolutely. I hope we can do it again. Because I would uh, like that. We're, you know, making some, uh, making some progress here. It's been an honor to speak to you. I mean, it's rare that I encounter humans. We can just kind of go off on this you know, trajectory into the, uh, you know, into the cosmos. And it's been um, a delight to go on this uh, conversational journey with you. And I look forward to future similar conversations. M me too. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Ours is ending, but <laughs> well, until next time. Thank you, Tim. Best wishes for your work. Likewise. <laughs>